there's a lot of evidence around psychological safety and how that leads to better performance amongst teams versus having an outcome-minded focus on everything that typically has been associated with sales in the past. It's all about activity. It's all about the outcomes. When we obsess about those things, that's what ultimately leads to burnout. And when we look at the world of low win rates, the world of high stress in sales today, low quota attainments, that old school minded thinking has failed us. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Win Rate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Brandon Fluharty. And Brandon is one of my guests on this episode of the Win Rate Podcast. Brandon is a hugely successful enterprise sales professional, and now he's the founder of Be Focused, Live Great. This is where he mentors top performing sales professionals to achieve their career and earnings potential. My other guest today for this roundtable discussion about sales effectiveness, the buyer experience, and increasing your win rates are Kyle Williams. Kyle's an experienced enterprise seller and sales leader for companies such as Google, and he is the founder and CEO of Brickstack. Also joining us is Megan Mishiak. Megan's an experienced sales professional and sales enablement professional. She's a sought after sales coach and founder of the Path to Presidents Club. Now, a couple quick items of business before we jump into today's discussion. First, if you're interested in receiving even more actionable ideas about how to elevate your sales effectiveness and increase your win rates, then please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday, and each week you receive one actionable tip to accelerate your win rates. So to subscribe, visit my website, andypaul.com. Second, enrollment's now open for the next session of my Buyer Experience Bootcamp starting on September 12th. Now, this bootcamp is my five-week coaching program that teaches you how to elevate your win rates by delivering the buying experience your buyers actually want and need. Because how you sell is how you win. So for more information and to grab your seat in the class, go to andypaul.com slash bootcamp. Okay, are you ready? Let's jump into the discussion. Welcome, everyone. Gosh, I'm going to have my guests introduce themselves today. I've got three incredible guests. Let's start with you, Megan. I'm Meg Mishak. I've been a salesperson my entire career since I was 16 year old selling bathing suits in St. Augustine, Florida. I've been a salesperson, a sales trainer, as well as worked very deeply with sales leadership teams. And right now, I actually am a sales training consultant, usually helping companies that are trying to go public as well as working with high-performing salespeople as a sales coach. So really helping them break through performance blockers and um, achieve a lot more work-life balance and, of course, their personal goals as well. Yeah. And you're also doing your walkabout year around the world. You're joining us from Lisbon today. Yeah. So for me, even like a part of that is I, I was always a really lazy salesperson that I was like, I, I really want to be able to do what I want, live how I want, make money as quickly as possible. So for me, at 32 years old, what that looks like is being able to travel the world, work completely remotely, and own my own company. So definitely very fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've been some great places too. So, okay, Kyle, you're next. Actually, it's three, three Flor Floridians today. Right. <laughs> there we go. The other SF, South Florida. Yeah. I'm Kyle Williams. I run a company called Brickstack. We help companies basically point their insights at the market. So if a company has a really hard to identify ICP, there's a lot of custom analysis and understanding to help them best 
point at their market. I'm a sales leader who learned how to code, sort of yeah. my background. So kind of taking these two different worlds and mashing them together. I sometimes describe myself as a platypus, like this <laughs> random skills and abilities that somehow come together. Do you have a venomous tail as well? <laughs> uh, it's actually the, I know too much about how a platypus works. It, the venom is in the elbow. Really. Oh, the elbow. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Who knew? Well, you, live in, you live in Florida, so with all the weird creatures there, there's bound to be a platypus or two around there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with the Burmese pythons. All right, Brandon. Hey, everyone. Brandon Fluarty. And like many, I happened into sales. I tried to start my career as a professional soccer player in Eastern Europe. Didn't quite work out for me as planned and got into sales Failed miserably uh, at the starts, climbed the ranks eventually from SMB selling into mid-market into enterprise, and then found my sweet spot in strategic accounts and uh, had a pretty prolific period uh, in the last four years of my corporate selling career, selling into Fortune 500 brands, and then parlayed that like Megan. Which, um, by the way, I take complete credit for. Yes, it. yes. By the way, everybody, Andy Paul was my sales coach during that portion of, of time, so... All credit to Andy. All credit. One of the most ridiculous claims you can make. But yeah, I do it anyway. Ask Kyle. I did it As you should. Today. Absolutely. And then parlayed that most recently retired from the corporate selling world in last year in 2022. And now running a strategy design firm called Be Focus Live Greats. And the uh, idea behind that is designing strategies for other strategic sellers to help them become what I call the purposeful performer. Mm -hmm. Like Megan... The sales role is one of the best roles that you can enter to create that freedom and autonomy for yourself and then turn that into the life of your dreams. And, and that's the, the the goal. Be focused, live great. Yeah. I mean, whereas Megan is spending this year traveling around the world, let's see, Colombia, Bolivia, South Africa, Portugal, Mexico City. I think you've been so far, right? Lisbon. <laughs> yeah. And Lisbon. Yeah. Lisbon. Amazing. And you sort of done the same thing with states. You get in your RV, yeah. Brandon, you drive around. Unhitch the gravel bike, go on the trails and explore somewhere in the, the woods or the mountains somewhere and come out with a big smile on my face and a lot of dirt everywhere and mud. <laughs> yeah. So Kyle, what's your equivalent? Glamping is the latest thing. We have two oh, really? small kids. So we have, we go out with a tent, but the tent has the poles like built in. So it takes like two minutes to set up and, <laughs> and there's a, like a battery I bring with an inflatable mattress. So it's not camping. It's definitely glamping, but that's, that's our latest thing. Still sounds fun though. Yeah. yeah. Huge fan of glamping. I'm definitely yes. a camping princess. It's the way to oh, go. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the last time I actually went camping. I think maybe once in my life or something. My parents were definitely not outdoors people. So that was not on our agenda at all. All right. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter here today. We're talking about sales effectiveness. We're talking about win rates. And I'm just curious what everyone thinks is because the subtitle of the show is The Science and Art of Great Selling. So what constitutes a great seller? Interest in people's opinions on this. Brandon, let's lead with you. Yeah, I think we're very aligned. Got from our sales coaching experience and just, I think, being very similar in our mindsets. I had to learn, again, the hard way that it wasn't so much the sales side of the house that generated success for not only for myself personally or the companies that I represented or the clients that I was working with more of the, the human side. So mm -hmm. that was a big shift throughout my career is kind of when I started 
focusing more on the human element, things like mindset, things like how I transformed how I work and more about how I prioritize the finite resources of time, energy, and attention. And sort of focusing those things on more meaningful things and developing purpose, that was sort of the underlying thing that helped me to ultimately be a better seller. And I think that's the interesting thing about this career is we over-index, we talk about this a lot, is the sales process and right. enablements and training. That glass has been overflowing for a long time. But when you start to tap into the more human side of things, and I really got interested in design thinking and, and systems thinking to enable that so that it could be repeatable, that's where I started to have light bulb moments for myself. And now seeing it play out with others, with the firm and helping hundreds of sellers tap into that, that to me is starting to define a new definition of success in the space. So focusing on the human and underlying having a purpose for mm -hmm. everything that you do, being more intentional with how you spend your time, energy, and attention. I think that ultimately leads to good sales success. I agree. We're going we're gonna to get back to that. Megan, how about you? Yeah. So for me, I think a lot of times we answer this question in terms of traits and things like that. But for me, when it like taking a little bit more of what makes up every seller, it is three things. And this is what I work on with my coaching clients. Um, I do think that first, a lot of times what we see is the habits that people have, right? So consistency and even resilience and, and the, the habits that we mm -hmm. even like sleep. I know, Brandon, you focus a lot on rest and like and, and health. I think the second bucket for me is mindset. So some mindsets I look for and, and help build in people is resilience and ownership and having very strong personal goals. And then the third is what a lot of us focus on in sales training, which is strategy. And for me, what I try, I, I think a lot of times people have like, they're very high in one or two of those areas. But for me, a really successful and healthy salesperson is someone who really focuses on a balance and on building skills within each of those buckets. Okay, great. Kyle. Yeah, I mean, going last, you, I'm going to echo a lot, but the things that I agree with are certainly what Megan said about ownership. I think about, it's kind of interesting, everyone on this call is a former full-time seller who now runs their own business. Mm -hmm. And there's something about taking ownership of your sales career and what your specific sales role is, similar to like a CEO or a business owner would be. And that mindset helps you to, I think in a paradoxical way, almost take ownership of your time and be ruthless about where you focus. And at the same time, have a healthy disconnect from certain outcomes so that you don't get too sales is one of those roles where it's very easy to burn out. And I, I think as Brandon and, Ever and Megan as well alluded to with purpose, I think sometimes we get co so caught up in going fast that you sort of lose along the way how to stay up and use this analogy a lot. When I taught my daughter how to ride a bike, I learned the same as a lot of people where you put the training wheels on and then you ride for a while and then you take the tra training wheels off and then you crash a bit. And I'd read about this technique, which we tried, which is instead of putting on training wheels, we took off the pedals. And so she had to use her feet to scoot along oh, yeah, the ground. The ground. Yeah, so yeah. She's learning how to stay up. And so then when you added the pedals, she already knows how to balance a bit. So even if she falls, Very she clever. can sort of 
correct a bit before she falls so you skin your knees, you don't break your I legs. I scars from learning how to ride the bike, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think in sales, a lot of times we learn with this, how do I go fast first mindset? And if you start with the pedals, you learn how to go fast, but you don't learn how to stay up. And I think if, as when I, what I hear when I, when every time I hear Brandon talk is like when I hear purpose and having your own inner focus, to me, that's about learning how to stay up. And if you learn how to stay up, then when you go fast, you're much less, less likely to fall off the bike. And I think that's where a lot of burnout can happen with sales. So I'd say learn how to stay up and learn ownership. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the story about the bike. I, I, yeah. That's so smart. And you see kids, there are these little bikes without pedals. You see kids wheeling around all the time. It's like, oh yeah, that makes us next step of the pedals. Easy schmeasy, right? She did five miles her second day. Wow. wow. Yeah. Let's get Brandon over there to ride with her. Yeah. We've got a new riding partner here. Yeah, really. What I also really like about that is I think what you mentioned is having a better sense of awareness because you don't really feel it with training wheels. You don't see, get the feel of how it's leaning. And especially like you, I love what you said about being able to catch yourself because you feel the bike leaning. And so you be, you're able to catch yourself. And I think for me, how that also relates to sales and training is that a lot of people don't, they have training wheels, right? We just tell them what to do. We kind of hold them up. And for me, one of the words I use in terms of those mindsets is, is resilience. Uh, I think it's also very related to ownership because mm-hmm. when you are able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and have a ton of autonomy in terms of trying a lot of things and really feeling the balance of those mistakes or of those strategies that's how most people learn. It's not from just having the training wheel on forever. Your your boss may be micromanaging you or handling your deals. So I think there's a lot to be said for being able to make mistakes and learning from those. That's interesting. In the book, Think Again, of it. there's evidence, a lot of evidence around psychological safety and how that leads to better performance amongst teams versus having an outcome-minded focus on everything that typically has been associated with sales in the past. It's all about activity. It's all about the outcomes. As Kyle alluded to, when we obsess about those things, that's what ultimately leads to burnout. And when we look at the world of low win rates, when we look at the world of high stress in sales today, low quota attainments, that world, that old world, that old school minded thinking has failed us. And there is new paradigms to start exploring around psychological safety, around the more human sided elements. And then how do you design that in a more purposeful, thoughtful way at the individual level, at the team level, even at the organization level? Yeah, I think at the individual level, this really becomes important. I'm glad you brought that up. Is is Mike's talk about ownership or agency, which I think is is such an important part of sales. Obviously, <laughs> centerpiece of the book. I my most recent book, Sell Without Selling Out, taking control of how you sell and selling on your own terms. But yeah, on this show, we're focusing on sales effectiveness, win rates, and it's funny. I I look at the fact that you said Brandon that we spend too much time focused on results versus performance mm-hmm. right and are made too focused on the outcomes and so people always say well there's a little bit of irony you're talking about win rates when yeah, you're saying focus on performance but to me yeah i asked people a question i said well, so 
why are you in sales, right? Why are you still in sales? Why do you stay in sales? There's a body of research that says, look, yeah, people that get into it for the money really don't typically don't tend to stay in sales because they don't stay in sales for the money. That's not, I mean, if you're able to succeed in your fortune in your career, sure, you'll make some money, but it's tough work, right? We all know it's hard work. The clock resets to zero every 30 days. We have to prove ourselves all over. And so I, I believe, I look at myself and look at the research others, that people stay in sales because they're finding some fulfillment from helping their buyers achieve, other people achieve what's important to them in life. And, and it's interesting to take on this because my belief is that you can't help somebody if you can't win their business. Right? We have this connection as we, we're in sales because we want to help people achieve things. We can't help them if we don't put ourselves in a position to win their business. And to, to me, that's how it all is connected. Is, and I think, to your point, because you know, obviously my whole approach in sales around the human-centered, buyer-first approach to selling, yeah, the most human, most buyer-first thing you can do in sales is win your customer's business. And I think it's interesting because one thing I also loved from your book and about win rates as the ultimate metric is because it also represents like if you win their business, typically it represents the fact that you have helped them assess their options, evaluate their needs, form a deeper understanding, like make a ton of progress. And I do think the exception is some of these environments where it's like a win at all costs situation. But a lot of times winning is is hugely indicative of what m- most of the people that I work with, like most of the salespeople, of what they want to achieve, right? They want to really help clients better understand. They want to help them assess their options. They want to help them solve complex problems. They really want to be a consultant and build relationships and build trust and help people. So it really is a, a good indicator of that. And um, at the same time, it's really interesting that a lot of people aren't even tracking how much they're <laughs> winning. So they're, they, I think a lot of like most often people are just looking at their quota. But it's interesting because what I always tell people, my coaching clients, I was like, quota is limiting because what are quotas based off of? Averages, Right. Average performance, average deal size, average win rate. And also a lot of just like randomness. I don't have like no offense to sales leaders, but a lot of times they're kind of arbitrary. So it's interesting because yeah, all the time. Thank you. Yeah. But it's also super interesting because when people are really defining their success and as well as their goals by quota, it's so interesting because once you really take out that number, focus on your win rate, focus on your deal size, and focus on your effectiveness in the sales experience as well as the buyer journey, you actually get to completely redefine what is possible and how hard it is or how easy it is to get there. It's that ownership as well. It's like owning not only what the goal is, but how you get there. And now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win back opportunity 
within days of it being marked as closed lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win-loss interview when the deal was marked closed lost in the CRM. And the buyer said, well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlosstoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlosstoolkit.com. That's winlosstoolkit.com. And now a message from Alego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Alego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing sales and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. See how it all can work for you. Go to alego.com slash demo. That is alego.com slash demo. Problem with quotas. It's, yeah, I've talked about this on the previous podcast. I did about Goodhart's Law, people familiar with Goodhart's Law. When a measure becomes a target, it loses all value as a measure because you optimize your process to achieve the target. And quota sort of becomes, to some degree, this sort of self-fulfilling, self-limiting target, if you will, because people optimize their process to achieve it. That's right. And here's an interesting story of an individual I'm working with who's at a well-known SaaS company. He's in the strategic account space. Mm -hmm. And we've been working together for about a year and a half, I'm on you. And the transformation has been very, it's just been wonderful to see. And I would say probably at best 5% of our conversations every Friday have centered around anything relative to specific sales strategy. Right. The other 95%, as we were talking about earlier, is more on the human side. And there's been a bridge that we've been able to correlate to higher win rates and using that as a beacon that he is doing the right things. He is increasing his frequency on the human level to sort of get in this, what we call the green zone. That green zone allows him to build these better connections. Right. And advise his prospects and his clients on here's how we can open up a very authentic conversation of solving real challenges at a very large account that he's pursuing. And what that's putting him in the space to do is he'll have a very high win rate this year off of really one account. And so from an individual perspective, what that allows him to do is reduce the noise that typical sellers have to Mm -hmm. face around the arbitrary metrics that typically get mapped to things like quota activity to, to say, no, I'm actually, I've been leading with impact. And I've been designing my calendar around elevating the conversations that I can have by not succumbing to the stress and anxiety of the noise around me. I've reduced the noise. I've protected myself against the noise so that now when I'm in front of the client, we're talking through 
truly authentically solving problems. And that's actually speeding up the deal as well because yeah. they're thinking through all the things versus 6.30 is coming up. We've got to close the deal. Guess what? What are the typical mechanisms? Okay, let's oh. discount. Let's don't worry about the support and services that come along. We can figure that out later. There's this incessant anxiety and, and, and appetite for urgency and speed Whereas he slowed down to ultimately speed up because on the second half of this year, now he's set up the client for success. They have the right support program in place. There's not going to be any issues. They've worked through all the different angles. He's worked through the commercials uh, very intelligently. And it wasn't, again, sales tactics that got him there. It was being just a good human being, right? And thinking through things authentically without being sleep deprived, without leading with stress, without leading with personal intrinsic motivation to to get them get him to his satisfying his quota and making big bucks. Or and yeah. Coming to extrinsic management. Or extrinsic motivator. I should say, yeah, no, he's actually been driven excuse me, yeah, good point, Andy. It's more intrinsic motivation on the right things, right? Yeah. Not the extrinsic motivators of big commission checks and closing a certain deal and getting the applause well, in the back by closing the biggest deal in a certain time frame. Yeah. Well, that gets back to what I was talking about before is why do we stay in sales? Cause you know, he's working this deal that's going to have tons of fulfillment, working this complex process over six months, sense of achievement that he did yeah. it, personal achievement. Yeah. yeah. Can't help your buyers. Like I said, if you don't win their business. Yeah. Something that's working for me on what you're describing about your client, Brandon, about like you mentioned something about there's a lot less pressure on the other metrics that tend to get pushed as primary when your win rate is strong and then you have this sort of absolute number achievement is that there's this concept of explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge and explicit knowledge is the thing I can sort of, I can write it down and you can read it and we can see the exact same thing and you know exactly what to do with that. Whereas tacit knowledge is that it's, it's not something I can put into words. It's the, Mm -hmm. how to stay, how to balance on a bike. I cannot write a manual that tells you exactly how to stay up on a bike. You sort of have to do that yourself. And a lot of the metrics that we often are measured against are more of a measure of explicit knowledge, right? Do this number Mm -hmm. of activities, those types Mm -hmm. of metrics are more explicit, whereas win rate is more of a measure of your tacit knowledge because it's a combination of factors really coming together to say, when I play, do I win? And and you have to almost look at it from different angles really to know because what you mentioned about his win rate is really strong off of a single deal. To me, that would be then we're talking about your win rate at a dollar level versus your win rate on a count of deals level. And so perhaps Mm. maybe his win rate is dramatically lower on a count of deal level, but his dollar level is much higher. And that's a function of he chooses to play where he can win and invest there is what the way you'd analyze that and how by looking at these different angles really with win rate, you're exposing what that tacit information is. But it's such a good point. You just brought up this idea about choosing to play where he can win is and it gets back to the point Meg was making before about you know agency is sellers feeling that they have this level of control over who they sell to. Yeah, I believe that sellers make the choice to win in the choices they make, right? Who are they going to sell to? How are they connecting with them? How are they bringing the best version of themselves as a human to the buyer, their curiosity, their understanding, generosity? And that's a choice you make. Yeah, I like to use the imagery of you as a salesperson, you're sort of, and this had this in my first book, is you're like the bouncer letting people into the club, right? Yeah, it's you, right. not everybody gets into the club. 
right? Just because your boss says sell to this person, yeah. that's a decision you have to make. That's right. And sometimes it starts with being in the right environment. And and interesting enough, here's another story that sort of illustrate that point. Uh, when we started working together around what circa early 2019 and mm-hmm. the 2018, I was coming off of a a big year in an MVP year, but I still my confidence was low because I think I was still stressed on sort of subscribing to the the hustle culture of mm-hmm. traditional sales activity-driven approach. One, you were very helpful in sort of redefining, it wasn't through sales tactics, it was through recommending the book, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, right? Mm-hmm. Again, a very human-centric way of thinking about confidence and, and how high performance can be mean different things to different people. What I went through in 2018 was, again, high stress, got success, two, two really major logos acquired and deals done. But what I was do- ultimately doing was saying yes to everything. And the manager, who was a great leader, Sean Burke, who introduced me to you, mm-hmm. we had a very, I think, poignant conversation in early 2019, which he sat me down and was just very honest. And it was the, the honest, direct feedback that I needed to hear, which was, hey, Brandon, you are great when you're in front of a, a prospect, a, a, a client that you obviously care about. And the opposite is true when you're in front of somebody that maybe you don't know as much about or you care a a little bit less about. Right. And so what that allowed me to do was go through a design thinking exercise of he's absolutely right. Yes, was my limiting factor here because I thought I could win all business that came Mm -hmm. my way or that I pursued. And then 2019 started to become a a life-changing year for me entering the seven-figure earners club because I made no my default. And the the way that I, bec- I I got to know was one, having that agency and autonomy from a leader who trusted me. But two, I went through this exercise of taking the concept Ikigai, the Japanese concept of reason for being, and it's mm-hmm. starting to become very popular now with a lot of images floating around the internet. Essentially, it's sort of these four, it's a Venn diagram with four spheres of what are you good at? What do you love? And so forth to find your purpose as in work and life. And so I went through a similar exercise as a filter of, okay, well, what are what is meaningful to me as a person that I can apply as a filter against my account list of 50 mm-hmm. strategic accounts? And that allowed me to hone in on the middle, which was shaped like a diamond, and I called them my diamond accounts. So these were the accounts that I knew something about or I could move quickly with them. And so I could filter out things off of my strategic account list and focus more in depth of building these really strong relationships where I could be my natural self. And I knew accounts on the other side of that would be really receptive to that. And I could allow them to be the best professionals to solve these really large transformative problems. And again, that was the biggest year of my career. And it became a foundational element to what I'm teaching with others. Yeah. And it's, and you think, and interested in your guys' thoughts on this. Is, so why is this so hard? I mean, you had the benefit of a great leader and Sean, yeah. I know Sean was a actual client of mine before you and I met is why is that so hard for leaders or managers to provide the sense of agency to sellers? to give them the ability to earn that trust, right? Oftentimes they're not even given the chance to earn the trust. Yeah, one of the 
things Kyle and I have been talking about <laughs> recently just drives me insane when I see it on LinkedIn all the time is something along the lines of, if you really want to kill it in sales leaders, give your best leads to your top sellers. Yeah. And I'm like, that is 180 degrees the wrong thing to do, right? If you're playing favorites with these people, what you're saying is I've got the short-term mentality and I've got to make sure that we have these opportunities that we're going to keep feeding them to our quote-unquote top people. You're never giving the other people an opportunity to learn how to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can I share something here? I'll share kind of like a little thought and then a story. So it's really fun when you work in enablement because you essentially have no direct reports, but you're responsible for the entire team's performance. Mm. Right. So what you end up becoming is essentially a sales therapist where everyone comes to you to talk about how horrible their managers are and how much they hate them. And you get a really interesting perspective. So one of my last full time roles, I joined and they're like, we need this training yesterday. We want all this help and all the support for our reps. But there was a lot of the that thinking, right? Like, I, I think one of the biggest things I noticed is that they were all They'd all grown through the ranks of the company. So you think that a lot of people don't have sales training, like sales management training is all of a sudden non-existent, right? right? There's not a ton of resources. So what often happens is that someone walks into work one day and they have a territory. They're a high performer. They are promoted. The next day they walk into work and they're a sales manager. And what often happens is that they now just treat it like they have seven territories, so a lot of times they have the skills to be a high-performing account executive, but not always a high-performing sales manager, which is mm -hmm. very different skill sets. So I'll give a quick example. Like for me, one of the, I was uh, hired into a company and like right away, one of the mid-level manager quit. So I kind of stepped in. I didn't know anything about the product. I didn't know anything, <laughs> like didn't know anything about the industry, but I knew that I was a really good coach. So what I started doing was, and by the way, there were literally like seven people promoted into that team. Again, I'd been there for a few weeks. So I started working with the team and one, like they didn't even have any training. They were BDRs first, first time they were selling. And it was really interesting because a lot of times these managers, they kind of just treated people and like even the expectations they had for them was based on what they had seen in previous roles. So they didn't even expect anyone to sell within the first six months. So even just by really challenging averages and the status quo, mm -hmm. I think that's one big part about win rate is once you realize that like the average win rate is 17%, you're like, my goodness. So all of the things that people are teaching where they're like, this is what worked for me. I'm like, did it really work? Is 17% really working? I don't think so. So even by just challenging status quos, I remember you, the average dollar amount sold by this team in the first quarter was zero. After one quarter of working with them, I read it to $21,000 just in one quarter. But we really worked on things like human-centric selling, really helping people, like again, find value, even challenge what they thought was possible. Like He had this his post-it on his computer that he put in, and it was a secret between us. It was 100, like 100. And he was like, I want to make, I want to sell $100,000 in my first quarter. Again, average is zero. He didn't. He only sold $87,000. <laughs> but I was like, okay, how can we transform this goal? 
he's like, okay, I actually want to figure out how early I can hit 100% of my quota. And so he hit that. And then I was like, okay, what is it now? And it was salesperson of the year. And so even I think like there is a really big aspect of challenging the status quo when it comes to high performance. And I know how does that relate to your question about around managers is I think a lot of people, they do not know how to coach, how to train, right? They're not teaching how to be agile, how to build ownership, how to literally build skills and sales that are allow you to apply it to a lot of different areas. They're just telling people what they did that worked or even worse, they're micromanaging them. And isn't that really come from position? I, I think that comes from a position of fear. Fear, yeah. Right? Is <laughs> As a manager, you, you hold the reins tight because you're afraid. Not that you necessarily know you have the answer, is that you have an answer, which is your answer, but that's not. That's certainly not going to be the answer for everybody in that program. And that sort of gets back to the point I was making before about, gosh, we're only going to trust these high-performing people, quote-unquote, top sellers. Yeah. That's fear-based as well, right? Because you're worried about short-term results as opposed to you know, build a strong team of people that can help us grow more consistently rather than relying on two people to Kyle. Yeah, and I think that some of some of these problems are universal. I don't think they're just within a sales organization of why would a manager do that in general? And some of it, I think a lot of what you said, Meg, about, Megan, about the manager gets promoted from an individual contributor. And so they know how to do the role. And mm-hmm. sort of built into that is that they have the tacit knowledge of how to respond to a given situation, or at least, as you mentioned, Andy, there's a, they have a hint of where to go. And maybe the rep that they're working with has doesn't have that tacit knowledge yet. And so it's similar to when I've been working with a relative who has a computer problem. I'm like, click the blue button. No, that blue button. And it's like obvious to me for whatever reason, I'm like where we need to click. And I think that's the sort of pattern that's happening with the manager of like, I know the pattern out of the pattern. And so, yes, the rep is sort of learning a little bit passively by observing someone take this in and respond to the moment. But it's very different versus when you have the fingers on the keys as the rep and the manager gives the space for that. So I think some of it is just that tacit knowledge and not, this feels obvious to me. Why is it not obvious to you? You forget that you didn't know. And then the other, I think, is a common challenge is trade-offs, right? If you've ever, if you've sold long enough, you've probably heard product promise that top feature that you've been asking for. It's it's either next quarter or six months, but it's always next quarter or it's always six months. Yeah. And if you've worked with product, like they're not bad people and they're not trying to lie to you or tell you that something's coming when it's not, but it, they have those same challenges of either biting off more than you could chew or a bunch of fires come up mm-hmm. and you had to do these tactical things. And in product, there's one methodology from Basecamp called Shape Up, where when you're deciding to do some work, they talk about appetite. Mm-hmm. Because if you just say, what's a meal that we should have? You might say filet mignon. But if you say, I need a meal and I need it in three and a half minutes filet mignon is not going to fit. Maybe a hot dog is what you should do. And sort of that prioritization or trade-off effort that it's, I think, hard if you are a manager to like let that trade-off moment happen for somebody right. because maybe I would have focused on this deal versus that deal. And so letting that calibration happen is, I get why that's scary and stressful because you can't read someone's mind or how they're doing that calibration. And now a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. Look no further than Cognizm, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. 
Cognizant's U.S. data set alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. Seven million human-verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98% accuracy rate deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizant offers the most complete GDPR-compliant data in Europe, making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizant. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizant's cell phone data. But don't take our word for it. Get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to Cognizant.com slash data sample to get your free data sample today. That's Cognizant.com slash data sample. Well, let's put this back in the context then. So we got managers who are operating from a position of fear. And is that the reason why we think, and I certainly have a lot of anecdotal evidence about this. I know Megan has some as well, is that people just don't know their win rates. Right here, to me, as an individual seller, that is the single most important metric for you. Meg and I co-run a cohort-based coaching program with another coach. And yeah, I think the first couple of cohorts, we had like 50-odd people in them. I had fewer than five of the 50 individual contributors, AEs, including people with 20-plus years of experience at some big companies. Probably fewer than five knew their win rate. And it's like, well, if they don't know it, that means their managers aren't tracking it. And what? why aren't they? Are they afraid to know the truth? I think there's a little bit of that. And I think the fear too, it's certainly not a problem that is done at only the individual level or only done at the top or only done in the middle of the management level. It's something that needs to be harmonized and, and become consistent. So why have we been managing based off of fear, well, a lot of that pressure comes from the top, especially mm-hmm. for high growth SaaS companies. You look at the macro environment we've lived in over the past decade, cheap money, just hire people, let's just get more bodies. That's led to this overarching activity-driven type of management. But we know, right, based off of research, like the mental health sales reports mm-hmm. done by the Sales Health Alliance and Jeff Risley and, and, and other folks doing some great work there, that that has led to more and more stress for sellers at the individual level. And then who's caught in the middle? Managers. Again, the universal problem of, okay, you've been a great individual contributor, so you must obviously know how to succeed in the world. Go make people in, in your profile. And then that leads, obviously, the the pinch from the top forces them to just go, okay, I'll commit the majority of my time, energy, and attention on the top performers because that's all I can do, right? Mm -hmm. And individuals are lacking the coaching that they need. I see it every single day. Nobody's getting the high quality coaching. And if they are getting coached, it's on short-term sales process and tactics to just get things done. Yeah. And then then that filters back up to the top that there's a, isn't a high enough quality of wins with clients that can be sustainable over the long term, it leads to unhappy clients, churn, and so forth. So well, what if you made win rate the key metric? And what if you really let go of the fear to say, okay, the research is telling us through Adam Grant and other high-profile researchers to say, well, actually, it's psychological safety 
that is needed for high performance. Mm -hmm. We're hiring these people for a reason. Let's not encroach on them. Let's act more like a VC firm instead of a company. Let's not treat employees as employees. Let's treat them as mini startups and entrepreneurs and let them manage their business within our larger business. And win rate is the connective tissue that runs mm-hmm. through on how you actually build systems and frameworks and process in place. Because as Meg alluded to earlier, it's not that we need better selling, we need better decision making. And how do you enable these smart people who have come into your organization, trusted their livelihoods, they're coming in with, they've got a purpose that they want to build a life and take care of their family and want freedom eventually. What, how do you allow them to do that in, in the most authentic way? Well, look at win rate and give them the resources that they need to be able to do their job and not confine them to urgency and uh, artificial speed. Give them the ability to authentically connect with people and continue to use win rate to measure the effectiveness of that ability to do that. And then when there are gaps, especially when people don't know the win rate or are scared to produce it and look at their win rates obsessively as a way of showing progress, then that's the area of focus for skills development and and coaching. And that coaching is really centered around not sales stuff. It is around thinking better as a human, making better decisions with their time, energy, and attention. Again, to find out resources we all have as professionals, whether you're a CEO or an account executive. Of course, if we were all thinking like VCs, we'd say, all right, well, we really don't want the salespeople to think. We want AI and our systems to think for them. <laughs> so, which is the absolute wrong thing. It's still a human business, first and foremost. Yeah. But we have a whole other episode on that, I'm sure, at some point. So, one just final thoughts from everybody. Kyle. I was going to say one, one thought on, like, why is that not something that everybody has tip of the tongue that they're thinking of all the time is there's, one rate is one of those things where if everyone's going, if you're going to trust it, that that metric and the different angles you're going to look at are very dependent on other definitions outside of just sales. Sure. Because as product, are we positioned and pointed at the market that we serve properly as marketing, the leads that we pass, are those matching where we can actually win? And then as sales, are we you know getting that feedback loop? Or are we properly moving those through the funnel. And then as CS, like the customers that are we getting the feedback back on? These are the customers that succeed and see the value. So that feeds back into the whole system. And otherwise, it's very easy not to trust that win rate metric, right? Because I could say, well, I don't trust the metric because we had a couple events that we tested and a lot of those leads were just not the right fit for us. And so we did our best, but they didn't make it through. And so that's messing up the win rate. Or we just stamp everybody with a hundred thousand deal size. All our losses are a hundred thousand. Our wins are only thirty. So that throws off right. metric, right? And so having to do it, I think to do it right, having shared understanding of as a company, what are we doing, and and maybe that ownership and understanding being above sales, even at the CEO level, should know that metric and know what goes into it, is part of why it's easy to it's easy to pick on the metric or say I don't trust it. But if you have that focus. Then as we've talked about, I think it can be the the best metric of sort of where are we and where are we winning where we mean to and why not? Okay. All right. So unfortunately, we're coming short on time. So great conversation. 
go fight everybody back. Hopefully, most people don't realize this is all your second time back. The first time we recorded this, it, it disappeared into the ether somewhere. So hopefully this one worked. So just wrapping up, if you want to tell folks where they can connect with you and learn more about you, Megan. Yeah, so my company name is, you can, and my website is Path to Presidents Club. That's T-O dot com. So I help people accomplish their personal presidents club, whether that's traveling around the world, going in an RV or glamping. <laughs> I work with both organizations as well as individuals really helping with all of these things. Win rates, as well as those three core components of mindset, habits, as well as the strategy to get you there. Excellent. All right, Kyle. I'm just Kyle at Brickstack.com or look me up on LinkedIn. Easy to find. LinkedIn, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Brandon. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me as well. Show up there every day and uh, you can check out some of the links uh, that, that'll take you to brandonfluharty.com uh, where you can explore uh, some of these concepts uh, mostly focused for the individual contributor to sort of become uh, an anxiety, stress-ridden status quo performer to a more purposeful performer who can calmly improve their win rates and achieve life-changing income. And set aside two hours every Wednesday afternoon to take a long bike ride, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I'm there for that. Yes. All right. Everybody, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the Win Rate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Megan Mishak, Kyle Williams, and Brandon Fluharty for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, The Win Rate Podcast with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday. Each week on Wednesday, you'll receive an actionable tip that you can put to use in your selling to become a more effective seller and to accelerate your win rates. So again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>